0: Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services In Conversation with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel.
1: everyone. Welcome to UBS On Air. My name is Julie Binder, and I am a part of the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. Many of the families that we work with are passionate philanthropists, supporting countless nonprofits worldwide. Many also sit on nonprofits. Nonprofit boards or even run nonprofits themselves. But operating a nonprofit can be complex, especially when it comes to implementing a strategy to have a real sustainable impact. And that's why today I've invited an expert in this area, Taloma Jaya Singha. Taloma is the president and CEO of Community Resource Exchange, CRE, a nonprofit consulting firm. As a human rights advocate, youth, women, reproductive rights, and gender justice work. Choloma served as the Executive Director for Saki for South Asian Women, as the Social Affairs Officer for the Division of the Advancement of Women at the United Nations, and as the first staff attorney at the National Advocates for Pregnant Women. She holds with me from George Washington University School of Law and a BA from New York University. Choloma, thank you so much for joining me today. Choloma and I thought it would be interesting for all of you listening to us, to all also hear the perspective of a funder. And so we've also asked Phil Lee to join us. Phil is the president and CEO of the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. Prior to joining the foundation in 2016, Phil served as the Chief Operating Officer at the Century Foundation, a public policy think tank, and before that at the Brooklyn Community Foundation. He has an extensive background in nonprofits, much too much to go into in our time right now. But I'll also mention that he got his career started in finance, serves on a number of boards, and is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, holding a BA in Economics and Biology and an MBA from the Wharton School in Finance and Strategic Planning. Now that I've set the stage on who these phenomenal... phenomenal... Phenomenal guests are, let's get started. So, Lama, can you tell us a bit about Community Resource Exchange?
2: Yes, I can, but I just wanted to first kick it off by saying thank you, Julie, to you and the UBS team for um, extending this opportunity to us. Um, I'm excited to talk to you and your audience today. So um yes, CRE, we are a forty-one year old beloved institution in New York. If you are in nonprofits, uh nonprofit leader, you have gone through our programs, you have worked with us. Um we do nonprofit management consulting, so we're like McKinsey, but we're a nonprofit with a social justice focus and what we do is we uh, provide the strategy, tools, and support for nonprofits and nonprofit leaders to become stronger in service of our shared goals to um, reduce poverty, promote equity, and increase opportunity in New York and beyond. Um, we're also a trusted partner to philanthropy and government agencies um, to work with their grantees because we're considered a field builder. we're thought leaders, and we're trusted to provide the strategy um, to support philanthropy because we know the sector, right? And we have a point of view on how we can work together to ensure that the sector thrives and is more impactful and um, more
1: resilient. Great. Thank you so much for that. Jill, can you tell us a little bit about how you as a funder came to know CRE and how the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation became a philanthropic partner?
0: Uh, Sure. And once again, it's a pleasure to be with all of you today. Um, Thank you for inviting me and all of us. Uh, For me, uh, taking a little bit of uh, what I was saying is – uh, what Taloma was saying is that um, we got to know, um, I got to know CRE back in my days at uh, a non-profit. And when I was there, we were thinking about what we were going to do in terms of expanding our work and our role and needed some strategic planning uh, assistance to make that happen. And of course, um, in our world, CRE, is the go-to place for consulting, technical assistance, and counsel of all sorts. And so that's how I got to know uh, the organization about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And then over time, certainly have tracked what's happened and done that. Um, more recently, when I came to the foundation in five years ago, was really, our work is really committed to leadership and leadership development in terms of the, it's the people that drive things that happen in the sector. Only about 1% of philanthropic dollars are actually earmarked that way. And just sort of knowing CRE and its commitment to working with teams doing capacity building, doing leadership development and that type of thing, uh, they were a natural place for us as a foundation to go to uh, to support and uh, build on the great work that they are already doing. Fantastic.
1: You know, um, I'm just going to set up a, a question for both of you here, and I'm hoping we can have a little bit of a dialogue around it. I find that sometimes when people think about the nonprofit sector, they focus on the groups and the causes that these organizations serve. And I think 2020 was a reminder for many of us that this is also a huge part of our economy. With the 1.6 million nonprofits here in the U.S. employing close to 10% of our workforce and over $60 million Volunteers, which is a huge amount of people. Can we spend just a few minutes talking about why it's so important that the nonprofit sector itself receives support? Yeah, that's a that's
2: a great framing question, Julie, and I, I can kick us off, um, and then Phil can can give his perspective too. So the the so. 2020, right, in the pandemic, it really showed stark inequities in how uh, the pandemic affected different people and communities, right? So it was racialized, to be sure, and it also showed, like, social and economic disparities. And you alluded to, like, how large the nonprofit sector is. We are, like, the third largest employer, I think, in the U.S., and yet we're undercapitalized, right? And despite that, nonprofit pivoted in 2020, and always, right, to not just meet current needs in crisis, but like they were also thinking about the future. Right. So like, especially if you were a human services nonprofit, like whatever your original mission was, whether you were providing like after school programming to youth, you became a food pantry. Right. So there's incredible agility in the sector. But I also think that right now we have to start thinking about what recovery means or what I call the upbuild. Right. Where we have a opportunity to leave behind and discard the things that don't serve us and uplifting the things that do. Right. Like we can imagine a different future and we can address so many gaps that people don't even see. And at that center of that work is the nonprofit sector. And that's from my perspective of like working with and supporting nonprofits who are navigating these changing times, right? And are trying to be strategic, but also like meet the current moment. And I'll pause there, right? To ask Phil, like from your perspective and like, what can you add as to what you saw this past year and, and what the foundation has reflected, like what its grantees have been experiencing.
0: I think one of the things that uh, what happened when COVID and then the racial reckoning sort of unfolded over the course of 2020 is that the role of the nonprofit sector in many ways just more important than ever. Um, I think what we saw initially uh, was all the direct service work that was being done, right? and. And you think about it, whether it was working with um, either after school or schools or food or housing or workforce or things of that nature that all changed dramatically, the nonprofit sector really rose to that occasion and was actually there for so many people during that time that was so difficult, right? And if you think about it, you know, as we talk about essential workers and the role that they play, so many of the people who were classified and determined to be essential were people who worked in the sector as well. And so just kind of understanding in terms of supports and safety nets and just ways that people were trying to sort things out. Um, Nonprofits were in many ways the translators and the uh, assistance that helped people kind of navigate a really tough time.
1: So you bring up a really great point with that. And, Talama, you hit on it a little bit in saying that some of the nonprofit organizations had to shift their focus and really meet the needs of their community in different ways than they were serving them in the past. And I think that's something that we saw just across the nonprofit sector. Um, Not only were many nonprofit organizations finding that the populations they served had grown, others were finding the populations that um, they served in the case of, say, arts organizations they couldn't reach in the same traditional manners. And so everyone across the sector was really impacted and having to think outside of the box about where they can bring new offerings to the market or where they can come up with um, some ideas to really help move the needle in their community. So you would mentioned being familiar with CRD on the nonprofit side and Teloma. I think that real examples often make these abstract theories much more understandable. Could you share with us one or two concrete examples of how CRE has helped specific clients address critical issues? I think that'll really paint the picture for our audience. Yeah, I'd be really happy to. I,
2: I want to actually um surface something, which is it's like one of the, and it's like the purpose of CRE's existence, right? So as you named, um, nonprofits had to pivot and like service delivery and like all the front facing uh roles and, and, and the, the services and, and meeting the mission of a non, what nonprofits need to do to meet their mission. There's also the, the silent or like the, the infrastructure piece, right? The inside thinking, this being strategic and resilient and um, how do you navigate change? How did you recenter all of that? That's the capacity building that CRE does. And that's not always at the forefront. Like uh, if you're a direct service nonprofit, like you have a client and there are gaps and needs about like they need food or they need shelter. And yet you as a nonprofit need to be able to adapt and your leadership needs to be positioned well in order to like be innovative in times of crisis. You need to have a deep talent bench. You need to be strategic. And, and that's like there is a, a real investment that uh, or an investment in infrastructure that the sector needs now and a real opportunity for philanthropy and uh, to partner with organizations like CRE as like our, we are the ones that think about that infrastructure that we position nonprofits well. And I can go, so just today, I was part of an internal selection committee meeting for what we call the rising fund at CRE, which is a our, our pro bono fund. So there are nonprofits that cannot otherwise access our services. They're small and and they have limited resources that are given to them for capacity building so we raise money and we have a little slush fund so that we can uh identify values aligned small mission driven organizations that need our support and there's a nonprofit in east that is centered in and serves east elmhurst corona and jackson heights in queens which was like the epicenter of the epicenter of the covid pandemic right and uh, their executive director Needed, needs support, right? She needs leadership support. She's trying to be strategic. She's not compensated adequately, so she's trying to navigate a difficult, challenging conversations with her board. And she has come to us, as she's done before, because we are a trusted partner, right? And so it's HR support. It's strategy. It's coaching. It's exec comp HR, like that, you know, challenging space to be in for her. And we're going to meet her where she's at. Well, you know, usually for the rising fund part of like the portfolio, it's like six month engagement, certain amount of hours. But because we are values driven, we're like, okay, this is one of those nonprofits that really rose to the occasion with limited resources in a time where, if not for them, people would have died, right? And our meeting our mission and our value add to the sector is supporting this organization through
1: what they need. Taloma, I love that example and I love that you were talking just there about infrastructure and how critical that is to the nonprofit organizations. I think a big part of um, what our team spends time doing when we're working with funders is talking about the idea of funding programs versus funding organizations and really looking at if you trust the organization, if you trust the leadership, you understand that they need to pay their staff. You understand that they need a roof. They need computers. They need all of that um, organizational operation pieces in order to run their nonprofit business effectively. And so it's so nice that CRE is so focused here on just infrastructure and support and the things that are so critical to nonprofits. Do you have perhaps one more story that you can share with us and then we'll turn to Phil for a question. Yes, I do. Thank you. I have lots of stories.
2: (laughs) so Narrowing it down is always tough for me. Um, so another one of our clients uh, just, um, the executive director just reflected the other day to us about the impact of our work. So we provided strategic planning support for a small, another smaller sized uh, nonprofit. And um, what she said was like, all of a sudden she had a partner, right? Like a champion for her and her team. And we worked together to set vision, mission and strategies, right. Of their next phase of being right. Uh, And growth was something that they hoped for, but did not, have in like they were not sure of right so we helped with strategic planning and positioning themselves and also implementing what that plan looked like and they've doubled their budget and their team is growing and she attributes that directly to our work with with them right so it's amazing it's like strategic planning like you can do something and it can sit on the shelf but done well and done and thought through through you know implementation actually resulted in like doubling a budget during these years, like during the last year and a half, it's astounding. And um, she get, and it's her work, right? It's that organization's work, but she's giving us credit. And so we're like, no, no, you did that work. But it, it just shows like the, what strong partnership and not seeing, our engagements are not transactional, right? And there's, there's real care and, and it has real impact.
1: I love that example. And I think it's true when we think about our daily lives as well. We all outsource something. And I think that the strongest organizations and the strongest leaders identify what does our talent look like? What can we do? What can we do effectively? What can we do really well? And where are our shortcomings? And then who do we partner with to help us address those shortcomings so we can be the best organization possible? And it sounds like CRE is doing a lot of that. So, Bill, I'm going to jump back to you now for a minute. Um, you told us earlier about your journey to become a philanthropic partner. Can you tell us a little bit about, from your perspective as a funder, what are the benefits of investing in CRE and the impact that donors like the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation can have?
0: Sure. Well, I think you've just heard the two really wonderful examples from Teloma. And then when you were talking about yourself, Julie, about uh, the infrastructure, I think if you, as we've heard Teloma talking about um, the strategic planning and how um, the ED wanted to attribute that success to uh, the work that CRE did. You know, it's all that stuff that's unseen that happens, and it's that the magic of a partnership like that. Um, it reminds me of this ad, and if you'll forgive me, uh, from many, many years ago, but it, it in essence was saying, like, we're not the ones who do the work. We're the ones who help the people who do the work do it better. And in many ways, I sort of think of CRE as that kind of that magic bullet, if you will, that helps and helps groups think about ways and do things in different ways so that they can be more effective in the work that they're doing Um, and to honestly respond to moments like last year, right? Having strong leadership that can pivot, that can adapt, that can respond in a moment of crisis that demanded change and be able to do it nimbly and still kind of carry their organizations and help the staff members who are part of it keep moving forward and serve community, right? In the end, that's really what we're looking at and do it in a really important and relevant way that helped everything continue to sort of function in a a moment of crisis. Those are the kinds of things that happen uh, when you invest in infrastructure and leadership and this whole notion of capacity building, right? it's It's largely unseen, but it's just it gets revealed in many, many ways, and sometimes we don't attribute it to that, but that's what's happening when you've got um, more skills more. Uh, ways to think about how you can respond to moments and see those executed in in times exactly like this.
2: Julie, if I can add something, I was just thinking about unpacking what the term capacity building means, because I'm just thinking about your audience. And, and we're talking about infrastructure and capacity building. And I just, the folks on the call, if you're listening in, right, you're leaders, you're savvy philanthropists. And so, like, you know, resilient leaders make better decisions, right? They can anticipate and plan for risk and be generative in times of crisis. So we help build resilient leaders right that's what capacity mil- building can mean for leadership and then well managed organizations are agile and better able to navigate well changing environments and risk and so helping to build well run nonprofits is also capacity building, right? And so there is a there's a shaping impact. Like Phil talked about like the like making the the business better. It's there's like this amplification effect of if you support CRE, for example, it's like you are having an amplification effect through capacity building, which is all about leadership and well managed organizations. So Lama that is
1: such an excellent point. And I love that you brought that up and that you and Phil both talked about infrastructure and nonprofits as business. Because I some, I think sometimes people forget when you, when you ask these nonprofits to deliver kind of audacious results, but you don't give them the capacity or the budget to go out and achieve those things. We expect them to achieve them on a real shoestring budget, and we often expect them to do it without much in the way of infrastructure, and so that is something so critical, And it's it's like the the running joke, right, for infrastructure, like with roads. You don't really notice it doesn't work until it doesn't work. And just like as you're driving down a road, you don't really think about it much until there are massive potholes that need repairing. So, I think that that is an excellent way to think about framing and supporting the nonprofit organizations we work with. So, I think you both gave us some really important lessons that funders can think about with the organizations they support. Taloma, I'm going to ask you to finish off our questions for today. So, we talked about challenges. We talked about infrastructure and the needs of nonprofits. Can you talk to us a little bit as your your role as CEO leading CRE, um, can you talk to us a little bit about your vision and some potential challenges you see for not only your organization, but the nonprofit sector, and what we really need to get there?
2: Yes. So, CRE's work. Is more important than ever as we upbuild, right? The city and the sector at large. We're going to be at the forefront of it. We're going to have to. If you want impactful organizations and strong leadership, you're going to need to invest in infrastructure capacity building, and and we're and that is what we do. And so, Fieri, we've done it for 41 years. We've been through everything, right? We've supported nonprofits through a terrorist attack, a flood, a hurricane, multiple global financial crises. We're here for it. And so, and a, you know, an uprising and a pandemic. And this time it's different, right? This time we have a boundless. Opportunity and and I want us to be at the center of that. So, what do I need? So, I need three things. I need money. Like, I want folks to invest in CRE. I want CRE to be able to use that money to innovate and serve so many nonprofits. I need thought partnership. Give me advice. Give me your expertise. Partner with me. Partner with CRE. We we, we think that like a synergy between philanthropy and capacity building is what we need to move the sector forward, right? To ensure that it's resilient and can cope with, you know, something else is going to happen down the road and we need to be ready to meet that challenge. And, um... I need a bullhorn because I want to say, if you fund movements like you want them to win, if you fund organizations like you want them to endure, and if you fund individuals because you believe in their leadership, then you have to fund us because we're the key partner to achieve those goals.
1: That's great. Sounds like we need to find a few more fills because based on Phil and the time we've spent together, I know you certainly are an excellent thought partner and I am sure that um, with a few more people like you, funders, who are committed and investing and um, really helping to bring awareness to this part of the sector is so critical. So I want to thank you both so much again for joining me today. Paloma and Phil, it was a pleasure to have a conversation with you about all the incredible work CRE is doing for the- the nonprofit community. I just appreciate so much. I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements.